Welcome to the Christ Academy podcast with Jeff Wong, where you'll receive inspiring ideas and stories as we explore the journey of faith in Christ. All right, so today we are covering Acts 17, and I'm called, I've called my message The Call to Grow. And so right now we're going to begin the MT12 talk. This is Acts 17 and The Call to Grow. And we're going to head straight into the scriptures. So Acts 17 verses 1 to 5. We're going to do a portion of verse 5, not all of it. So let me read this for us. So after after leaving Philippi, feel free to read with me, and passing through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and Sorry, Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica. There was a Jewish synagogue there, and as he had done in other cities, Paul attended the synagogue and presented arguments based on the Hebrew scriptures that the anointed had to suffer and rise from the dead. Then Paul said, Who is this suffering and rising anointed one? I am proclaiming to you. He is Jesus. Let's go to the next slide. He came back the next two Sabbaths, which is Saturday, repeating the same pattern. Some of the ethnically Jewish people from the synagogues were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. Even more devout Greeks who had been affiliated with Judaism came to believe, along with quite a few of the city's leading women. Seeing this movement growing, the unconvinced Jews, Jewish people became protective and angry. And so guys, I want to dive into the background of these scriptures right now, uh, these verses within this chapter of Acts 17. Let's dive into some of the details here. I want to bring you some of the background information here. So you'll notice that in verse 1, after leaving Philippi, And then passing through those two cities, which I didn't pronounce very well, Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you're familiar with the Bible, the New Testament in particular, and the epistles, which are the letters, you'll notice that there's the books of Philippians and the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, well, after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we have the book of Acts, which we're going through. After that, we have the book of Romans, which is Paul's letter to the Romans. And we have First and Second Corinthians, Paul's letters to the Corinthian churches, or the letters to the Corinthians, Corinthian church. After that, we have, the, we have Galatians, which is a city that Paul visited. Galatia was a city that Paul visited. Um, I remember this with acronym, or the, the with Go Eat Popcorn. G, Go is for Galatians. E is for Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. We have the letter to the Ephesians. And P for Philippi, uh, popcorn, or pop, Philippi, corn, Colossi. So after Paul and Silas visited Philippi and planted a small um, like home church here, at some point in the future after they left, Paul wrote a letter back to them which is a letter of Philippians. The same thing with Thessalonica. He wrote a letter, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, back to the believers 
in the church that they established in Thessalonica. And that's the, a part of the background here. That's the connection between these two things. And then at each location, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And verse 2 and 3 says, As he had done in other cities, Paul attended the synagogue. So he attended the place where people were gathered, were meeting, and were talking about spiritual things. And, um, and this is important. There's a lesson for us here that it's valuable for us to go to places where people are open and talking about spiritual things. It's there that we can have spiritual conversations with people. It's there that we can dissect and talk about ideas, talk about, uh, t- talk about spiritual writings, talk about prophecies, talk about the Messiah, talk about Jesus. It was there that Paul presented arguments. He was well-researched. He knew what he was talking about. And so that's a lesson for us, too, that we ought to be well-researched and understand the prophecies that pointed to what would happen and that Jesus was a fulfillment of these prophecies and exactly what Jesus does for our lives. Paul presented arguments, and we could do the same thing. That doesn't mean that we argue with people in an aggressive, um, hostile way. No. It means that we can talk about it. We can have conversations about these things. It goes on to say that based on the Hebrew scriptures, that the anointed, who is Jesus, the Messiah uh, in Hebrew, the, the Christ with the Greek idea, had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then Paul said, he asked this question, who is? He asked the question in a, so he could have a conversation with people. Who is the suffering and rising anointed one? I am proclaiming to you. And Paul was able to state to the people there that he is Jesus. Remember, in the Jewish faith, in Judaism, they were expecting a Messiah to come, a Christ to come, according to the prophecies of the of the past hundreds and thousands, hundreds and also thousands of years. There was prophecies that there would be an anointed one, the Messiah that would that would be the King, that that God would provide. And so, Paul's asking, who is this person? Lots of them didn't believe that it was Jesus. That's why they put him to death. That's why they put him to death on a cross. But it was Jesus. And Paul is stating to them in plain language, this Messiah, this anointed one is Jesus. Today when we're having conversations with people, they don't know Old Testament prophecies, or some of them may be interested in them. No, some may not. But whatever it is, when people talk about the universe is is doing this for me, the universe must be listening to me, the universe must be orchestrating things for me, maybe those are the times for us to say, that universe that you're talking about, that you understand is the universe, that's Jesus. He's making things happen for you, and He loves you. And it's it's more than just some, some spiritual entity. He ha- it's the person of Jesus who is God. Whatever it is, we make this connection. So it says that He came back to the next two Sabbaths and repeated the same pattern. There's a lesson for us here too, guys, that we... Sh- should be engaging in some in, in conversations and in dialogue with people, constantly pointing them to Jesus. God is saying this to us. He's given us a wake-up call today. But it also says that it's not a one-off. He continued to do that. He repeated the same pattern. We gotta find places, we gotta make patterns, uh, form patterns of having conversations with people and sharing about Jesus. The next verse. Verse 4 says, some of the 
ethnically Jewish people from the synagogue were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. What does this tell us? This tells us that not everyone believed. We can't, we, we can't expect that everyone believed, that everyone would believe. Paul and Silas didn't expect that. But because they opened their mouths and they shared, they had conversations with people, some believed, and that is so valuable, that some came to faith and some were saved, some became disciples of Jesus. That is so important. It is worth it that we would get rejected 50 times if two people come to faith. And God is trying to remind us to have courage to open our mouths because there's people who need Jesus. There's people who need salvation. And we got to remember that. We get so caught up in everyday life, guys. We get so caught up in the routines of just going to school or going to work, coming back, doing chores or running errands, and then entertainment to unwind, watching Netflix, watching YouTube or watching TikTok or whatever it might be. And we forget that ultimately people need their lives saved and that that Jesus intended that he would use us as a way to be his megaphone, to be his voice, to share the gospel with people. Sure, we we would get rejected most of the time, but we still need to share the gospel with people because some, some would come to faith, some would believe. It continues and says, even more devout Greeks who had affiliated with Judaism. That means Greek people who became believers in Judaism, they're expecting the Messiah. These Greek people came to faith in Jesus, became his disciples. And it says, along with quite a few of the city's leading women, God used the book of Luke, used Dr. Luke to describe his love for women. That in a patriarchal society, heavily patriarchal society and culture that God still has a place and wants and even mentions women here. God loves women. Verse 5, to close off the background of all these scriptures. Verse 5, it says, Seeing this movement growing, the unconvinced Jewish people became protective and angry. And as it goes on, it describes the persecution, the plans, the conniving that happened to try to stop Paul and Silas and the other believers from sharing about Jesus. Two things I want to point out about here is that people could see this movement growing. I mentioned today that today's kind of like a slap in the face from, from God. It's a rebuke, I think, from God. This is what I sense, that God wants to rebuke us because we haven't been growing we haven't been growing in numbers significantly. God wants us to wants to give us a wake-up call. We are meant to grow. We're not meant to be stunted. And the way that we grow is that we invite or we have conversations. We intentionally are reaching out to people. And people could see that in this scripture. They could see that the movement was growing. But the key word there is growing and that people could see it. People can also see that we're not growing. And this is what God wants to point out to us today, that we have to take this up. We have to take up the commission to make disciples. And so I want to talk about this further. I want to share a quote with you. This is from Craig, Craig Springer, the executive director of Alpha USA. He said... Speaking of the next generation, he said the next gen- the idea of the next generation is saying, I know how to do it. I know what you're asking me to say. I just don't want to share it. I don't want to do it your way. 
I want someone to know Jesus, but I can't, conf- I can't confront them or proclaim the way you've trained me. I want to do it that way. I do- sorry, I won't do it that way. I need to find another way. Does that resonate with you? I know it does for my generation, and it tends to for the generations that come after. There's this idea that we want people to come to faith, but we don't want to, sh- to share the gospel in ways that were done in the past. Another quote from him. When it comes to embracing the new dynamic of evangelism, the most important shift is the shift from pro- proclamation alone, the key word there, proclamation, to conversation. Note Springer. There are so many different avenues that this wisdom is illuminated through. One is through the life and ministry of Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus, he asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions, and he only directly answered eight questions. That's super insightful. He created space for conversations in his interactions. And so, guys... We can have conversations with people. We don't have to have all the answers. In fact, maybe it's better to not have all the answers. One way to be sharing the gospel in this day and age, we don't have to stand on a figurative soapbox and just be proclaiming and declaring the gospel and trying to force people to come to faith. No. We can have conversations with people. We can ask questions. Questions like, Have you ever thought about why people feel inclined that the universe is watching out for them? What do you think that might be? How did you come to believe that? Could it be that this universe actually has an intention for us, actually wants to have a relationship for us? Could it be that the universe wants to do even more in your life and in mine? Could it be that what you call the universe is what some people call God. Could it be that who people call God is actually related to Jesus? Have conversations with people. You could do that over coffee. You could do that over many ways. You could do that online. But just as Jesus asked 307 questions, he was asked pe- people asked him back questions, 183. And he only directly answered eight questions, but somehow people started to follow him. I believe that people started to follow him primarily because of two things. It's because of how he loved, but also how he lived his life. How he touched people. How he exercised the power of God on people's lives as he brought healing and transformation, etc. That's what we got to do, guys. That's what we got to do. Next slide. These conversations that we have with people, they can happen anywhere. They can happen over coffee. Hey, after work, or hey, after school, or in between classes during our break, let's go to a restaurant, or let's grab coffee. And you have conversations. You ask people about their lives. Start start talking about spiritual things or bringing out spiritual things. It's like, man, you seem, man, that's awesome that that happened, man. You are super blessed. Where do you think that blessing comes from? Is, do you, do you, for you, do you feel like it's random or do you feel like there's something that's making things happen? Do you feel like things are random or do you feel like things are there's a destiny or something that's, that's there or a fate? Have conversations with people like Jesus did. You could do that at a coffee shop or over bubble tea or at a restaurant. 
you could go out you can go out to nature you could go take a hike you go to the beach uh, just like we see in this image above you can go and just have conversations out in nature it's like man this is so incredibly beautiful how do you think this all came to be do you think it's purely the big bang and evolution or is there a designer that's behind this in some way? Start having conversations. Did someone... Man, I love this about, about you and your personality and your character. I love this about your story. Do you think this is all... Did this all come about from a random way? Or did, is there something or someone orchestrating? Do you think it's like the universe? Like, or AKA God or something? Start having conversations, asking questions. It could be that you're on a drive back from, from a game. It could be that you drive back from work or wherever it might be or, or driving somewhere on a road trip, going camping. Have conversations. Ask questions at that moment. It could be, the, the, so far, those are all examples of being in person with someone. It could be that you, you can have conversations in your DMs or your private messages or your inbox for your email or wherever it might be or in the comment section of someone's post. You can also have conversations and ask questions and so forth online in the digital world. I want to give you a few examples. I want to give you some stats. I want to provide some charts and some data. I want to, I'm going to spend more time than usual than I have with this because these are, aren't things that we normally talk about. But I especially want to look at the different generations and how, did, and how people are sharing their faith digitally. What's working, what's not, how people are doing it, fears, you know, etc. Let's talk about some of these things. So from Barna, these stats are from Barna. So it says, God on the Internet. Digital interactions are changing how we talk to each other about our faith for better or for worse. So these are just the facts. This is for better and for worse. So it says the first stat there is that 28% of self-identified Christians share faith via social media. So it's happening. But we guys, we got to be the ones to do it. Us in our community, we got to share our faith online on social media one way or another. It doesn't mean that you outrightly have to always proclaim Jesus is the, is the way to be saved. You don't have to always say that. But you can be public about your faith. You can encourage people and inspire them with the Word of God. You can attribute great things that have happened in your life, breakthroughs, um, opportunities. You can attribute that to God and have that be public. But 28% of self-identified Christians share their faith via social media. The next stat says 30% of self-identified Christians say they are just as likely to share their religious beliefs online as in person. So roughly a third of self-identified Christians. 12% are more likely to share their faith digitally. It's a great opportunity, guys, to begin conversations, to begin influence. Let's move on. From the same document, 58% of non-Christians say... Someone has shared their faith with them through Facebook. 14% through other social media. So 58%. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's a way for us to share our faith, what we believe. And we ought to take advantage of that. We shouldn't be silence, silent. God wants us to be public with our faith. Next, 31% of self-identified Christians use digital communications when sharing their faith with a non-Christian. So email, sharing links, sharing videos, 
sharing Facebook posts, sharing posts from others on Facebook. 40% of self-identified Christians agree technology and digital interactions have changed how others respond when I share my faith. That's roughly half of of, of self-identified Christians. Next one. 44% of self-identified Christians say technology and digital interactions have changed how they share their faith. So this gives you an idea of what is going on in the digital world in terms of people sharing their faith, perhaps sharing their testimonies as well. Let's go to the next slide. The give and take of digital evangelism. Here you say you see three generations. The millennials, who are the generation that was born after me. You see Gen X, which is me. You see the boomers, which are the generation before me. So when it comes to technology and digital interactions, um, it's made sharing your faith easier. 58% of millennials believe that. 64% of Gen Xers Gen Xers mainly use Facebook or that, and maybe Instagram, but Facebook was especially a Gen X platform. Um, but when it comes to baby boomers, it's only 39%, which is kind of interesting. The next one, it's harder to have a private one-on-one conversation now than in the past because people are so busy with phones and technology. When it comes to millennials, 69% believe that. Same thing with the Gen Xers, but only 60% of baby boomers. The next stat says technology and digital interactions make me more careful about how and when I share my faith. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been really cautious about that? That's what this is about. So when it comes to millennials, 58% that experience that caution, sense that caution, or have that caution. When it comes to Gen Xers, 53% only. And then with boomers, it's only 30%. So the last stat there, 68% of, 64% of millennials are, uh, feel this way, that people, have more, people are more likely to avoid real spiritual conversations than they were in the past because they are so busy with technology. So millennials by far believe that the most. I don't know what it's like with Gen Z. Millennials, are, I, think, I believe, are Gen Y. And then Gen X is 60%, and then boomers are 45%. I've, uh, perhaps boomers don't spend as much time on technology. Here's another set of stats. How Christians share their faith online. 80 88% are through personal posts. It's what you post personally. 68% or, sorry, 86% share others' posts. So just almost the same. They share other people's posts. So guys, you can even share other people's posts. It doesn't just have to be yours. 85%, almost the same, we're in the same ballpark. They comment on others' others' posts or on their walls. And then a lot of people, 58%, are sharing their faith on their profile information. So in your Instagram or in your TikTok profile or your Facebook profile or your YouTube profile, whatever it might be. And then 34% are sharing their faith through their profile image in some way. So... Just some interesting stats, but it gives us an, it helps stretch our imagination as to what can be done. Now, I know that a lot of us have a problem sharing our faith because we're afraid that we're going to be offending people. They're going to, even if we don't mean to offend them, that they're going to feel offended. How many of us feel that way? 
And it prevents us from going further because we don't want to offend people, especially if we're from Canada or we're from the UK. We're very polite. We don't want to offend people. So what happens is that we just end up isolating ourselves in our figurative monastery. And we have this monastery Christianity that, that where we're all inside, we're all in our small groups, we're all in our worship services, we're all in our church activities, but we're never outside in the world public in our faith. When we go outside, we take off our monk clothing or our nun clothing, so to speak, and people can't tell that we're Christians because we don't want to do it. We don't want to be offended. We don't want them to attack us. We don't, we don't, so we, we don't want them to think badly of us. We don't want, we, we don't want to offend in any particular way. I understand that. I get that. I want to share with you a couple of things that are related to that. 65% Christian millennials believe that people today are more likely than in the past to take offense if they share their faith. 65% of Christian millennials believe that. Man, that can be really crippling when it comes to sharing our faith. When it comes to boomers, the generation before me, 28%. It's only 28% believe that people today are more likely in the past to take offense if they share their faith. It's because that during the boomer the boomer generation people could discuss things and have op- opposing opinions and just have a discussion about them and not feel offended. But when it comes to the generation of millennials, which is Gen Y and also Gen Z, people are so much more likely to be offended when you have a a disagreement with them because it feels like you're attacking them, but you're not attacking them. You just have a different view than they do. And so for us, we've got to get over that that stigma, that, that, that paradigm in our brains because it's preventing us from sharing our faith. We've got to be able to share our faith and help people not to feel offended by it. And that's where instead of proclaiming, it may be more effective to have conversations about it to start conversations, start asking questions. When it comes to believing that disagreements mean judgment, no further about this topic, millennials are three times more likely than boomers and elders. Elders are the ones that are before the boomers. The baby makers, I believe they're called also. They're three times more likely to believe that disagreement means judgment. And millennials are about two times more likely than Gen Xers to believe that disagreement means judgment. But disagreement doesn't mean judgment. We disagree and we can respect each other. We don't have to persecute each other. We don't have to cancel each other out. We don't have to be offended by it. And so guys, the message for us today is from the simple part of verse 5. People were seeing this movement grow in Acts 17, verse 5. It was growing. And so for us, the challenge is this, is that we got to grow. This is a rebuke from God that we've been silent, that we've been living in our monastery rather than been, been living missionally. God, is, God has put us on mission. And we're meant to be active, just like what we see Paul and Silas doing. Sharing faith, having conversations with people. You see that later in chapter 17. When Paul, on Mars Hill, he sees the altar to all these gods and he sees the altar to the unknown God. And he tells the people that he has a message about the unknown God, which they put an altar to in case they've missed a God. 
and that this unknown God is Jesus Christ. And so this universe that people that people are familiar with, this God, believing that all gods lead, lead to the same, all religions lead to the same God, create some conversations and bring people, bring people to a point of thinking about these things. We're meant to be on mission. Pentecost Sunday signals the descending of the Holy Spirit to put us on mission, the Great Commission, to make disciples of all peoples, all nations. You can have spiritual conversations, guys, with people who are not from the West and they won't be offended by it. Ask them, what, what, what religion is your family? No one's going to be offended by that if they're from, if they're from a non-Western country. It's normal to talk about spiritual things and religious things. It's only in the West where we have to tread this ground and be a little bit more careful because people get offended because, and it's meant to be a private thing. But we got to take on that mission. And so I challenge you guys today to say to God, yes, I received the Holy Spirit and I, and I have received the Holy Spirit and I received the mission from this point, this day onwards for the rest of my life. I will be on mission. I challenge you to commit to sharing your faith at least once a week, every week from now on. That we can be in obedient to what God is challenging with us, challenging us to, to grow. God is challenging us to grow. We need to take that challenge, guys. We need to take that challenge. Commit to sharing your faith one time a week, every week for the rest of your lives, whether it's in person over a coffee or in a hike or on a car ride, or if it's online through chat, through email, through DMs, through private messages, whatever it might be, whether it's through your bio, whether it's through your profile picture. One thing is for sure is that we are meant to grow. And we haven't grown for years. Let's take up that mission this Pentecost Sunday because the Holy Spirit's been given to us for that purpose, especially for that purpose. So let me pray for us as we close here. God, we recognize your call to grow. We recognize your call to grow. We recognize your rebuke and we allow you to correct us. People, take this moment and respond to God. If you want to respond to God with a commitment that I will share my faith once a week for the rest of my life from this day forward, take this moment and commit to God. Commit to Him right now. Allow Him to use you to share your faith to make disciples. As you make that commitment, I want to commission you, us as a church, as leaders at More Than 12. We commit ourselves the same commitment to share our faith once a week for the rest of our lives. But we commission all of us, we commission you, we commission you as a missionary, as an ambassador of Jesus, to point people to Jesus through conversations, in person and or online. May the Holy Spirit baptize you right now if you've never been baptized in the Spirit. May the Holy Spirit fill you and empower you 
like you've never had him empower you before as we fast and pray this Pentecost Sunday. May the gospel be spread. May souls be saved. May more disciples be made. May the kingdom of God come today in the same way as it is in heaven. Yes, thank you, God, for moving and speaking powerfully today. I sense a turning point today, God, if we would just... I sense a turning point in what you are empowering us to do. But a part of it is our willingness to participate. So help us, God. Help us, God. Bug us. Poke us. Slap us in the face so that we will take this commission seriously, whether we're a student, whether we're working, whether we're in the hospital, whether we're retired, whatever it might be, whether we're female, whether we're male, whether we're young, whether we're old or somewhere in between, whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, whether we have a few friends or no friends, or if we have many friends, God. You want to use us because people matter and people need to be saved. People need the love of Jesus. They need the kingdom of God in their lives. Thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen.